theme for the afternoon talk is the, uh, the mind of the meditator. I have a mild um, hesitation to engage in um, a hierarchy as far as a human being um, is concerned. So uh, I'll make a small apology to start, but it isn't heartfelt. And what I have in mind uh, here, when we look at the totality of ourself as a human being, we might say, we can say, oh, one feature of the experience of being human is body. Wow. And all that takes place with it. We might believe that at times that the body, that means the health of the body, the energy of the body, the well-being of the body is the most important thing. It is important. Of course, we are pleased, happy, content when we feel well and fit and, uh, and the life of the body is valuable and precious uh, for us. But in terms of the hierarchy, it is not, it is not the most important thing uh, there. Some uh, person said to me just recently, because one hears this in these candid circles, oh, um, uh, the body knows itself. We have to, have to trust in the body. The body knows itself. And I, if I may say, I thought to myself, where did this cheesy idea come from? Uh, uh, there. The, the body knew itself. It wouldn't get sick. It wouldn't have all these health and problems. And if the body knew it knew itself, uh, when the body's got no life in it and it knew itself, it would say, oh, I am dead. <laughs> Knowing is not here with the body. And another important aspect as well, keeping with the, the hierarchy, I know it's unforgivable, but keep with it, um, um, is the mind. And the mind is clearly very important. The mind forms the view. The mind has thought in it. The mind has the ability to cognize, to know what is going on. Not everything and not everywhere. And it has a limited capacity to know what is going on in the body. A limited capacity. A finite capacity. This is the vulnerability of being human. And then there's a, an expanse from the mind, which means from the view, from the thought, from the knowing, from the recognition, to the heart. And the heart is remarkable. And the heart is the world of feeling in its best and rather most beautiful, expressing itself as love, as a genuine, authentic sense of happiness, 
as an expanded awareness and receptivity, which has the capacity to embrace the cognitions, the thoughts, the ideas, the capacity to embrace the body. Uh, there, And therefore our appreciation for the potency and the immeasurability of the heart is love, is precious. And of course you and I, we love to have contact with those who we feel are warm-hearted, who are caring, who are big-hearted, to be in the company of such women, men and children in this world. Going a step further now. All of that, though, is confirmed and realised by something which is more deep, in my view, than the body, than the view, means the mind and the thought, and the heartfulness, is consciousness. Because it is consciousness which reveals, oh, the heart is happy, the heart is sad, the heart is expansive, the heart is contracted. There. It's the consciousness, being conscious of, meditating upon, being mindful of, which is the recognition of what's going on in the mind, what the story is in the mind, what the profusion of thoughts and ideas and opinions and healthy, wise views are going on in the mind. Consciousness reveals that. It, it shows that. And we talk about it, we share uh, about it here uh, and elsewhere as well. And also, of course, consciousness reveals there is a body. There is this organism. There is this, the, this bundle of elements which are formed together. And there's a very simple truth in all of the, uh, 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 this. That which one is conscious of, conscious of the condition of the heart, the feeling, the emotional life. Conscious of the thoughts, the cognitions, the views emerging from the mind. And consciousness of the body. That which you are conscious of is not you. Period. How could it be? How could it be? There's responsibility, there is care for, there is insight into, there is realisation about. And consciousness, mindfulness, meditation, paying full attention to, it's the same thing. It's able to look at this as an object of interest. Oh, what's going on in the heart? What's going on today? in the views and opinions and the stories and the thoughts. What's going on today in the condition of the body? The posture, the pain, the comforts, the discomforts. That which you give attention to is not who you are. And then there is the consciousness. So we say, oh my gosh, consciousness in this Christopher hierarchy list must be at the top of the list. 
because it's revealing else what's going on. But consciousness is not the sunum bonum, not the uh, ultimate cat- uh, category there. It's awakening. It's liberation. It's a non-clinging view in life in which consciousness is connected with the heart. It is connected with the views and opinions and the cognitions and uh, the way of looking and interpreting and the judgments and the evaluations and it is connected with the body, obviously. And waking up is to get this little bundle which some will say I am or this little bundle which others will just say oh, it is just a formation of the human existence. And if you get that perspective right, you're fine. If you get it in its context and don't exaggerate being human, you're fine. And if you don't get it right, good luck. Good luck, you'll need it. And it's this exploration of the body with no detachment. The Buddha has never used the word detachment in 10,000 discourses. No detachment from the view, the thought, nor from the feeling life, nor from consciousness, no withdrawal there. It's the fullness of engagement in which, in the engagement with it, we look wisely and clearly at it to see it without exaggerating it, to get a perspective on it. There's something that which we can know which is far greater than the rather small, contracted, rather confined little world which I call myself. There is far more important things in this life than having a view called myself. And part of that part of the exploration here. Sometimes, just have the sip of the good water. Thinking of water, small advice, don't eat fish. (laughs) Riddled with microplastics. Anyway. I'll carry on with the theme. <laughs> it's a view, but it's a good one. <laughs> In looking at the uh, uh, relationship, sometimes we say, or we hear, or uh, uh, we, we even uh, might read, about the importance of the present. It's interesting with the Buddha. He has not used be here and now, once in 10,000 discourses but the words are attributed to him 101 times I see it regularly this is why I've got white hair (laughs) 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 and he uses the the words he uses is dite dame and somewhere along the line our beloved translators used a generality of term. This got to be interpreted as the truth. 
and therefore the Buddha perhaps more than anybody else uh, gets associated with being here and now or being in the now if it was so important one might have thought the Buddha would have at least said it but you can't find it it's not in the discourses and he uses the term dite dharma 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 means teachings practices, explorations and dite is view and what the teachings are is not being here and now but a, an aspect of the teachings not the whole teaching aspect is dharma includes everything everything is dharma every thought, every idea, every imagination every in the material world every person, it's all dharma in the way we live in the might say ocean of the Dharma we could say and what he says is the view that we have about anything including ourselves or including another this teaching these teachings are an exploration of the way we view life the way we view everything and therefore in these teachings if you're a lover, like I am, of the Buddha Dharma, you know, therefore it does require and mean that our view of the past is as important as our view of the present and our view of the future is as important as our view of the present. Understand? Mm -hmm. That the three fields of time called past, present and future in these teachings matter, they matter equally one is not more important for the other because there is not a human being who has ever lived who can be in the present moment all the time it's impossible we couldn't even function if we are in the present moment all the time how could we? our relationship to yesterday metaphor, yesteryear, decades ago uh, is as important as our relationship is to what's going on today our relationship to tomorrow, next week, next month or further ahead as it may be is as important as what's going on today or what's going on yesterday because a human being is a composition of a relationship to past, present and future Dite Dame. That's the teaching. If you, if you prefer be here and now, then you go and find a be here and now wallah. But to really look at giving. So here, of course, we are giving the question of that some priority to, dare I say it, the living present. We're giving some priority to it but not to exclude our relationship to what happened yesterday or the day before or what may or might happen in the future because quite often as we know our relationship to the past can have an enormous impact and influence on us and our relationship to the future 
equally can be having as well. So the relationship to yesterday and tomorrow and today, all of them, from human experience, are really important for us. So let's, while we're here, give some attention and uh, interest uh, to this. One of the common areas with this, um, just running to the past and the, the future, take the future first and the past uh, uh, second, is the days are going by in our life, years are going by, and we find with our uh, experience that some thoughts arise uh, quite often with some feelings associated with the thoughts there in relationship to the future. And there is a movement, this is in the interaction of the feeling and the thought, which can confirm, this is what you have to look at here, confirm a tendency of what is the relationship you have with the future. What is the common tendency that you have, that I have, with regard to the future. And one has got to know oneself and pick up that tendency quickly there. So for some... the tendency can have in it a positive feeling with regard to the future and that positive feeling brings a pleasant feeling and the view with the pleasant feeling gives rise to a certain hope, a certain optimism. There's nothing virtuous in it. It's just a, a horrific tendency. And this hope and optimism goes into the future. And the hope and the optimism is, oh, it will get better. And when I or we do this, and it will get better. And that feeding into that generates the blind spot which will find it difficult to be clear that it may not get better. Period. And those who have a lot of hope can end up with one hell, and I mean hell of a lot of disappointment. Their hope led to an an appointment with despair. The hope led to disappointment for others and there is a reaction against it. Ask the, one of the high priests of hope on this earth was Mr. Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Hope. 
hope. Yeah, and look what we got. People build up positivity, positivity, positivity. There is no real action on the ground and there's disappointment and then a negative reaction. Be careful with the hope. One can't find, back to the the Buddha, since I'm a bit of a fan of his, (laughs) one can't find the word hope in the Buddha's teachings. Another and what one, what one has there, there's the nearest, nearest to it, for those of you who have, have a little Pali knowledge here, some of you have heard the word upeka, which means equanimity. And the nearest thing to hope, the word is, um, in Pali, apeka. And... It's wanting something to happen but having no clue if it will or not. And therefore it would be a loss of upeka, which is equanimity, because one's got apeka. For those of you who have never heard these Buddhist words, just you know, think about lunch tomorrow or something. <laughs> but just for the moment, <laughs> for those who have an interest uh, uh, there. We imagine, if I have a lot of hope, which is a nice feeling, etc., that if it fades away, it will leave me with equanimity. Oh, I'd be very steady, it didn't work out, I'm chilled out about it, you'll be lucky. More likely, the, the more and more hope, the higher it goes, the bigger the crash. The bigger the crash according to the, how big the hope was there. And it may work out. One had tremendous hope this, this would happen. You, you, you've met the lover of your life. There you've got your 2.2 children and your 2.2 houses and your 2.2 garages, uh, etc. And all of that to be going along, as we say in English, swimmingly well. You're a successful citizen. Uh, uh, there and then one day all that one had got what was the point in this short life what was the point and then comes as I hear regularly enough an incredible disappointment I sacrifice my life on the altar of materialism, on the altar of consumerism. I gave my life for that. My God. And the years have gone by. And all that one got, outcome of that is, gosh, a disappointment. I wasted my life. There are far more important things in life than consumerism. We need the basic necessities, of course. Food, clothing, shelter, medicine, friendship, etc. Of course we do, of course we do. Not a romantic. But the exaggeration of... When we look at our meditations, cutting to the bone here with this, 
There is the object. Sonia has been speaking to you about being with the breath, about being uh, with the body. There. So the breath and the body is the object. Really important, really connect with clearly. And what the teachings are saying this afternoon, that your view of the object matters as much as the object. The relationship matters. It's not just about being with the object, called being with the breath, being with the experiences of the body, the pain, the discomfort, but how you look at it. And one of the issues for the meditator in her or his relationship is that the tendency which is in other areas easily gets transferred into this area. What I have in mind in here, we, we the, whoops, we the collective, um, uh, we who have had to endure mummy and daddy, we who had to go to school or whatever uh, it might be, have been told, I, I, you probably got told, I, I certainly got told, I remember looking, I have my old school reports at home. There was a consistent message in the report of the teacher uh, uh, there. Something more or less, um, Christopher does well. Which is. <laughs> Christopher does well, but he could try harder. <laughs> he could try harder. If he could try harder, he'd do better in his exams, etc. I got bored with this mantra uh, from the teachers and from the, from the parents and um, preferred uh, liberation from the English school system and got out at 15 and I never regretted it, I must say with regard to that I strongly recommend an early departure from education <laughs> <laughs> however I have some friends who, have, who are survivors of university and I'm very impressed <laughs> so there is this view oh I'm not trying hard enough in the meditation I should push myself more I'm not going deep enough. And these old voices, which have been pumped into us, they get carried, and we hardly realise it, into the mind of the meditator, we're carrying, carrying it, and then we're putting an enormous amount of pressure upon ourselves to get somewhere. But it's not just sometimes the past, which is, kind of our past, shall we call it, inflicting this desire, intensity, stress and pressure to go deep into our meditation. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there are meditation teachers who are also putting out the same message. So they haven't resolved their own issues and now they're inflicting them on their beloved students who come, I shan't mention names, I'm very tempted, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be a polite Englishman, <laughs> and inflict them. 
with stories of their own incredible struggles and, and the pain that they went through and they tell their students you've got to sit there and don't and go through that pain work through it uh, there and you take these strong determinations to sit one hour, two hours, three hours without moving, etc. And people, oh, yes, oh, yes, good, I can't wait to ruin my knees and be crippled, <laughs> etc. And so, and then the same people, the same poor students are told, listen to yourself. But the teacher isn't saying, listen to yourself, only listen to me. Look at, look at the suffering that I've gone through and still have. I want you to have some of my suffering as well. So, 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 so I'm being rather, you get the point. We listen to ourselves. If you hear inside of yourself the voice of intensity, take care. If you hear inside of your voice Yourself, the voice of, I should push myself harder. I should strive more. I should put in more determination. I should push myself. Really, really take notice of this voice. This voice is not a friend. This is not love. This is brutality. This is the self bullying itself. So what does that mean for the meditator in her or his relationship to the body? It doesn't mean that at the first sign of some pain or discomfort, oh, I think I just stretched my legs out. I don't want to have to leave the retreat in a wheelchair. (laughs) (laughs) It hasn't happened yet. Some have got near it, I have to say. More important, more importantly, can I find the calm and the clarity and the good support of the breathing, let me take the knees or the back or wherever, to quietly breathe through, feel the experience of these unpleasant, painful sensations, see if I can just explore them from above and below, from the sides, and have a wise view Dite Dame, remember, wise view of a thing, wise view of an object, and just if I can just explore that. And if I find, after a period of time, that I'm now starting to push myself, I can see that what I'm doing is actually a fight with that pain in the body, a struggling with it. If I'm experiencing a huge amount of pressure inside of myself, And especially if I start praying to the God I don't believe in for the sitting to come to an end and to hear that gong, then you know it's a time to move your legs. Very simple. Some of the biggest believers in God on retreats are the atheists. It's not unusual. People start praying to the God. They never believed in God. Never had a thought about God. But come on a retreat, God starts coming. Oh, please, God, when is he going to ring the bell? <laughs> happens regularly. So we want to be catch when there is pressure and tension and we're fighting 
it will affect the relationship to the present and it will reflect the relationship to the future. Fear, waiting, impatience, desire, wanting it to be over. When the relationship to repeat is difficult with the present, the present will not be able to contain your reactivity. It's not big enough. And it will have to go into another field of time to help deal with it, which of course is not dealing with it. Quite often it's the future. So when having a struggle with the present, it's generating fear, one of the responses, reactions, the emotion, there, and that fear will go into the future. And the self, that's the I and the my, will identify with the reaction to the present, whatever it might be, with the object, whatever it might be, and it will run into the future, and the fear about that or something else will run into the future. And the self will identify with it, which will give the fear the voice of truth. It will give it the reality. It will say, this is the reality of the future, or the probable reality. And when we're having a difficulty in relationship to the future, and it could be a health issue, a relationship issue, a responsibility issue, and much, much more. When we have a difficulty in relationship to the future, with the fear, the imagination has an impact, and sometimes we think, or we believe, that something outside will have to make it easier, whatever that change may be. It can be a support, but essentially and most importantly, can I explore calmly and clearly enough and have enough relaxation and trust with the process, whatever it is, pardon me, so that I'm not building up fear about the future. Human beings do not have to live in fear. It is not a support for human life. It is not true if you are told, oh, we can't live without fear. In fact, it's more the opposite. Human beings can't live with it. We have to find a clarity of the heart and a wisdom there and learn to respond to situations uh, not live in this fear not be so afraid of life of each other of the future or whatever so here with the teachings <coughs> to really notice and one of the strong feeling emotion thought dynamics um, uh, is fear and to be clear what am I afraid of? And we sometimes imagine that it's the object. It's the thing. There. 
But our response to the situation, health, another person, circumstances of life, having no money, all the sorts of things. The relationship to the object upon which the fear has landed, the relationship to it, can this relationship change so that we can look at events of life without fear? Can the view of the object change so that we can look at it without fear or without anger? And the answer is simple, yes. Anything, anything, anything. And sometimes you and I, we have the immense privilege, it's a privilege really, to meet with other people in this world and she or he or they, we look at their life, look at the circumstances of their life. And we're suitably touched and recognize when we know someone and, and their circumstances and we say, how do they handle this? How can they deal with this? What, in, what capacity this human being has to deal with such a situation? And these, in my view, these are the, the gods and the goddesses of the earth. Those who can really handle extraordinarily difficult situations there. And sometimes they themselves may not quite understand how they can deal with this, whatever it might be. Might be quite personal. It might be something in the, uh, in the outer world, but we need their company. We need to spend a little bit of time in their sh- shadow, in the best sense of things. We need to listen to what she or he is saying. We need to be able to ask her or him some some questions uh, about that with curiosity and with interest. And maybe out of that, a little bit of learning and insight and understanding may come, which will help us and give us some support to dealing with very challenging situations. Because, as one of our poets said, we may be having a lovely picnic, but a storm could be on the way. We have to be ready for the storms of life. <clears throat> Sometimes, in the circumstances of the view of the meditator, there may be, in your circumstance, there, and this is in terms of coming into the retreat, a period of... Um, quiet, exploration, interest and curiosity, uh, all of which is so important. And then it may emerge out of the being um, a movement within and you know, hand on heart, there is something in one's life which is not yet resolved. It is really standing out. It is just 
not resolved. And it isn't easy to find the vitality or the insight um, or the movement to change something. So, what I have in mind, yeah. that might be, might be, <coughs> could be work, could be a, a relationship, it could be a, a way of life, or whatever. There. And one just knows that something needs to happen to free oneself up from. And the teachings, of course, are a liberation teachings. They, they're really significantly focused on the process of liberation. And when change, radical change, fundamental change, which is a great potential and capacity, when significant change is needed and needed to be made, and one has a feeling it needs to be made, it's important to be clear with this that that change, when it's a liberation, it is a break away from the old. That's what liberation is. It's a break. It's a cutting off. It's a break out of the old. It's to liberate from the old. And one knows it has to change. And there are the mind of the meditator can see this. There are quite often, there are more than two, but two primary things which stop this. And one is that there is a deep human need as it were, for familiarity, for habit, for the continuity of the old. There's a certain bizarre security in it. One might hate the situation, hate the job, hate the marriage, hate the, the way you live, hate, hate, hate whatever it might, it might be about, but the idea of breaking away from it because it's giving, it's making one miserable, but it's a kind of secure misery. And one rather would stay with all the unhappiness and the unpleasantness of, uh, of that, because the prospect of liberation, of freedom, of breaking away is too much. And it, this can go on for years. Years. And so security... This is a strong phenomenon of the human being. So to break away is to go from security to insecurity. And we're, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I'm not quite ready for that. There. And the second factor, which goes along with it, is very much in the feeling in emotional life. And sometimes, in the break away from, one will need to accommodate and to address the unpleasant feeling which may well go away with it. It is not as though 
breaking away from is going to be, going to be a thrill a minute forever after. <laughs> it, it, it might be for some people, <laughs> you know, etc. But the break away can trigger all sorts of difficult feelings and emotions. One is, I let him, her, them down. One is, I can't bear the impact I'm going to make if I break away, if I change, if I go on, and if I go and do something there. Or, I can't bear the feeling that I might be just running away from. So one is, is security uh, there, which is difficult because it's a change from security to insecurity. And, and the other is dealing with the feelings that might be coming out of oneself in the change, or the feelings... The angry ones, obviously, the fearful ones, the threatening ones, which may come from the other. When one says, I've decided I'm making a major change in my uh, life. And some people just, the thought of it, that it's too difficult to deal with the reaction from the other, or the reaction from oneself, or both. And therefore, that maintains the status quo. You want to live like that? It's a liberation teaching. It's an exploration teaching. It's a teaching which is not easy, but a learning to live with the experience of life. And sometimes it doesn't require from us that kind of fundamental change but if we know in our perspective that we are in a habit and habit is the death of the human being it's the death of imagination it's the death of creativity boredom, fear, anger and blame in a way it's the death of the creative spirit. And so sometimes it's not necessarily the radical change of physically or emotionally moving out from, that might be the step, but sometimes what's really needed is the change of attitude, and the, the Buddha's um, link in the Eightfold Path goes into this well, the change in the relationship to the other there. And it's a trust, therefore, in the power of love, the caring attitude, a deepening of curiosity, an application of real interest, and the patience, so that that expression is more important and one stays true to it. Because sometimes in relationship, one person wants to do one thing, the other person wants to do the other, 
both are in conflict with each uh, uh, other and are ships, as we say in English, passing in the night together until the sinks collide, the ships collide and Titanic like both <coughs> neither is able to make the change not necessarily the change of stepping out but sometimes the change in the power and application of love of friendship, of kindness, of staying true to that as a principle of that. And it might be that the other person maybe responds. And if after a, whatever, suitable period of time, they don't, get on with your life. There are lovely people around in the world who would be very happy to receive the friendship and the love and the, the acts of kindness. Because it would be a pity as two friends of mine, together for 30 years relationship, 30 years, neither have been happy for years, decades, not been happy, just robotic life just putting up with each other with the occasional arguments and putting up with each other both talking we can't go on like this just going on and on some of us have parents like this and goes on with the continuity uh, like this and then in the case that I have in mind here finally one made the decision Enough. After 30 years and finished there. So the partner, in this case the man, he moved out. Gone, finally, relief. What is slightly ironic, this is in the uncertainties here, it was... Despite 30 years, not very happy there, etc. He was not the one who would, who would do, who would end, who would bring it to completion. And what's ironic is, he moved out, he's got himself a nice flat in the countryside. Just saw him recently. He's happy. <laughs> He's happy. And the one who finally come to the decision is feeling rather lonely and, this is the ironic, rather unhappy that her ex is so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Human beings, we are one weird species. And so the one who makes the decision, as an example, has no guarantee to repeat that it all will be well. And it might require, in making a change in our life, a quiet patience with our own emotional life, 
it might require recognizing that there are some doubts about what we said or what we did. And just to stay true to something, even though there may be some confusion or rebellion or agitation, because sometimes the liberation will put us through a difficult period. And I'm sure in good time she'll be fine. But it's going to have to be steady day by day with the change that goes on. So just in summary with you here, I'm not doing bad. I'm just warming up, but anyway, it's for <laughs> <laughs> So just in taking in, in the summary here, uh, here with you. We're putting extra emphasis on the present. Yes. We want to really notice the view that arises when our mind goes to the past or to the future. In either direction. What is the emotion, the feeling tone, which is going with it? And particularly two common ones are fear and blame. And to remind oneself, with fear and blame, both obstruct opportunity to see clearly. One cannot see clearly with fear and blame. And since it's a teaching of liberation, which is a teaching of uh, clarity, to really notice when fear and blame is having um, uh, influence. To look as well, as mentioned, there is the object. We call it breath, we call it the present moment, we call it the, the body, or the practice, or whatever. And just to notice um, the view that we have, and sometimes that view that we have is genuinely wise and well. It's coming from a place of calm, of clarity, and the view is of just being with and giving full curiosity and interest and connection uh, with and to really appreciate that. And hopefully that then can expand that clarity to look at the past in the same way without fear or blame or guilt or whatever and to be able to look at the future. So we put our practice here and now to find the clarity to look at yesterday and tomorrow, so to speak, with the same clarity uh, there. And all of this brings the deep and, we might say, the very best out of, out of, out of the being. And it is the practice. Let's have our quiet minute, shall we?
neural beings see and appreciate clearly the interconnection of the view with the object of the view. May all beings look deeply into the nature of things. May all beings live with love and liberation. <laughs>